0: An electric back and forth affair between the Sabres and the Red Wings on Wednesday night. We will talk about it. The Sabres blowing a lead. The Sabres ending up winning a game where they blew a lead. Also, a couple of interesting nuggets on Dylan Cousins, Matias Samuelson from that game. And I need, think we need to have a conversation, at least a small one, about Peyton Krebs as he continues to be a healthy scratch. All of that is ahead here on the Locked On, Locked on Sabres podcast with Joe DiBiase your locked on sabers your daily podcast on the buffalo sabers part of the locked on podcast network your team every day Thanks for making Lockdown Sabers your first listen every day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcast including our YouTube channel. Be sure to check us out there. The Sabers beat the Detroit Red Wings on Wednesday night by a score of 5 to 4 back and forth. Sabers with a big lead that they built up, they blow it, but then they are able to win the game in a shootout to improve uh on the season win their record and gain a point on the Red Wings. If you're someone that's paying attention to the standings as we are still pretty early on in the season, we'll recap the game, a couple of interesting moments from the game, Dylan cousins, Mattias Samuelson. And also here's another game where Peyton Krebs was a healthy scratch. And I think we need to have a conversation about his role, how to get him going and what the answer should be for how the Sabres treat Peyton Krebs going forward, because healthy scratch we all know is not the answer to that question. So we'll do that coming up out here in the Locked On Sabres podcast. And also I, I have a question here from, um, in fact, I'll get to it right off the top before we get to the Red Wings and the Sabres and make it our, uh, our Twitter question of the day. Usually we look at Twitter or YouTube for that. Check out our YouTube channel, Locked On Sabres. And it's a complaint about why the Sabres are playing a home game Thursday night against the Colorado avalanche recording this on Wednesday afternoons. You may have already seen the game against the avalanche. Why are the Sabres playing at home on Thursday night when the bills are also playing on Thursday night at the new England Patriots, you have to know that crowd is going to be sparse. And the question essentially was who dropped the ball here. And my answer is, I don't know that there's really anybody to blame in this situation. I think it's just one of those things where I think the Denver Nuggets were playing uh, with some conflict with the Avalanche. So the Avalanche had to play tonight um, to make it work. It's just a schedule quirk that I think was maybe unavoidable by the NHL and the Sabres because, you know, you know, they know what the bill schedule is. I, I don't believe that nobody thought to Google the Bills' schedule and realize, oh, they play on Thursday night, December 1st. We also have the Sabres scheduled. Maybe we shouldn't do that. Nobody Googled that. I, I refuse to believe that. I think, of course, they have their finger on the pulse there, the NHL, the Sabres, and it was unavoidable. Uh, and that's why I don't really know if there's anybody to blame. It's It sucks, right? It sucks for the Sabres. It sucks for Buffalo sports fans to like to go to Sabre games and are also big Bills fans, which is most Buffalo sports fans, of course. Um, and it's going to be a very light crowd on Thursday night. Uh, again, you probably already know what the crowd was like. I don't feel any uh, – I don't feel like I'm going out on a limb and saying there might be less than 5,000 people in that building. Is that is that exaggerating the point too much? I don't know. I, I don't know what to expect. I doubt it's going to be anywhere near like eight 9,000. Maybe two or three. I I don't even know if that's. I don't know what to expect. It could be five hundred. For all I know, it could be one hundred. That probably seems like a little much uh, on that front. You wish the Sabers could s- show the Bills game on the jumbotron. There's got to be NHL rules though against that, and also it would be weird if the Sabers players were on the ice playing the game, and then all oh, the crowd goes nuts, but it was Bills touchdown on the on the jumbotron. Um, doubt that that would be the case. So, anyways. Good question. I don't think there's really anybody to blame in the situation. I think it's just unlucky, and it had to be this way. Uh, is is my thought? I don't know that, but that's that's my guess. I can't believe nobody googled the bill schedule. No chance that I will believe that. Sabers, five, Red Wings four on Wednesday night. Are we supposed to feel good, or are we supposed to feel frustrated after that game? I really couldn't figure it out because Sabers built up a four to one lead going into the third period and the Red Wings fought their way back, tied the game at four, and nearly won it. It's kind of amazing. I tweeted this out when the... Sabres were going to a five on three. They were going to be shorthanded to five on three with under five minutes to play. The Red Wings had tied the game at that point. They had scored three goals in like six or seven minutes. The, all the momentum, the crowd was going nuts and it felt like the Sabres were panicking. It felt like the Sabres were on their heels. They were icing the puck repeatedly because they just couldn't do anything with it. Um, they looked frazzled and the Red Wings were coming after them. Then they take two penalties and now it's a five on three and can, did any Sabre fan think that the Red Wings were not going to score on that power play, especially with the Sabers' penalty kill, which was 29th in the NHL going into that game? Now, the Sabres are better now when it comes to penalty kill just on this one game because they killed the five-on-three. They then killed the subsequent five-on-four uh, to finish it off. Thought some interesting strategy by Don Granato. He used two forwards on a lot of the five-on-three. He had Kyle Poso actually playing along the baseline, kind of as where the defenseman normally would. Uh, So Oposo was playing defense. Um, Thompson was playing up top with his reach, blocking passing lanes. And they, they did a very good job of killing off that five on three. And they did a really good job. It's their best penalty kill night of the year by far. I mean, that's been such a struggle for the Sabres and they killed all seven. They went seven for seven on the penalty kill. So, a great job by the Sabres there. Uh, five on five was a disaster in the third period, though, and it very nearly got them beat. Maybe should have gotten them beat uh, because the first 40 minutes, Sabres played great. The Sabres were all over them. They had a ton of great scoring opportunities in that game. Uh, of course, if you look at the goal sheet, uh, Dylan Cousins scores a shorthanded goal in the first period. Matias Samuelson. Gets his first NHL goal. Uh, just, you know, a light wrist shot from the wing. Gets a little bit of luck that the goalie let it through, but whatever. Matias Samuelson, first NHL goal, sixty-fourth game in the NHL. And remember, he's making over four million per year. So I hazard a guess he is the highest paid player to ever get his first NHL goal. Uh, so good for him. And it was fun to see him like jumping up and down after the goal when he was in the the pile with his teammates. So he was loving it. His teammates were loving it. He's a great player, so. Good for him that he was able to get his first NHL goal. Uh, Cousins then would get a second goal of the game early in the second period, about midway through the second period, I should say, uh, for his eighth of the season. Jeff Skinner uh, then got his 11th on the power play on a on a play where it almost got whistled down, but he scores just in time when there was an injured Red Wing on the ice. And then it went Red Wings, Red Wings, Red Wings. David Perron, Oscar Sundquist, and then Oscar Sundquist again uh, to tie the game at four before Jack Quinn wins it in the shootout with a slick move, a slick move by Jack Quinn. The, the kick, the, the kick, the skate kick back, and then goes forehand, backhand, forehand, the, the ability to push off on one leg. If you, you can freeze frame Quinn when he's in front of the goaltender before he makes the final move and all of his weight is on his right leg. You almost cannot believe he is upright. In fact, He's doing like a squat on one leg on the ice wearing a skate because look at it. His butt is below his knee. He is doing an insane squat and then he pushes off on that right leg to get around the goaltender's pad, um, Alex Nadelkovich, and he slips it by him. It's an incredible goal. It is showing off so many skills. It's showing off the – it's showing off, one, the stick handling ability, but two, more impressive for me because – Again, watch that play in slow motion and just watch watch the angle of his knee versus his body and how much weight is on it and that he's able to push off and get to where he needs to be. The athleticism that is on display, you don't see that a lot from hockey players, right? Where you think, wow, what an athletic play. That shootout goal by Jack Quinn, I'm telling you, you won't notice it just watching it from the normal feed. Look at the close-up cam on the replay and slow it down and just look at how incredible it is that Jack Quinn is able to push off the way he does on his leg. That is athleticism. That is crazy athleticism by Jack Quinn, and it allows the Sabres to win. He is an incredible shootout player, by the way. He was in Rochester. Remember, there were a couple of moments in development camp and training camp where he was showing off, and now he's doing it uh, at the NHL level. It was the Sabres' first shootout of the year, and they win it one to nothing. When we come back, we got two more things to tackle here on the Lockdown Sabres podcast today. One, got to talk about Dylan Cousins because now he is scoring, uh, and also, what is going on with Peyton Krebs. We'll get to that when we come back here on the Lockdown Sabres podcast with Joe DiBiase. We are brought to you by betonline.net. It is your number one source for sports betting information, stats, news, and analysis. Get the latest odds and trends, every professional sport and amateur league out there as well, from football, the college football, the college football playoff coming up, the NBA, you've got the FIFA World Cup going on right now, lots of great betting information and potential bets at BetOnline for the World Cup, esports, they've got it all at betonline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those online as well. We're they're always the fastest and easiest way to get your betting fix. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. Bet online where the game starts. Joe DiBiase back here on the locked on Sabres podcast. Sabres over the Red Wings on Wednesday night by a five to four score. Looking at some of the stats. From the game, the Sabres were outshot 45 to 34. A big disparity in the third period, though, that really swung that in the Red Wings' favor. Uh, Sabres, as I mentioned earlier, go seven for seven on the penalty kill in this game. Uh, the Sabres uh, on their own go one for two on the power play. So that's a pretty good job. You get one power play goal on two opportunities. In fact, if I want to include Dylan Cousins' shorthanded goal, special teams opportunities. The Sabres go 1 for 2 on their power play. And they go 1 for 7 on shorthanded chances. Uh goal scored and the Red Wings go 0 for 7. So special teams won it for the sabers in this game. Uh takeaways for the sabers just two in this game, six giveaways. The uh red wings had 11 giveaways though. They had a lot of sloppy play in those first two periods. By the way, speaking on the penalty minutes, sabers end up this game with 16 penalty minutes to the red wings' 6. I think this is one of those games where I like to point this out about referees. When you see 16 to 6 penalty minutes The average hockey fan, the average coach, the average broadcaster, what you're going to hear is complaints about the officiating because they didn't even it up. We only really do this in hockey. We don't really do it a lot in football or the NBA where one team has way more penalties than the other, and we blame the refs. We don't blame the teams as undisciplined or sloppy. That's what we do in the NFL, right? If, If the Bills have 15 penalties and their opponent has three, we don't say, well, you know, some people will. If the calls are really bad, they will. But you don't hear a lot of, oh, the refs really had, did the, did a job in this one. No, you'll hear honest analysis about the team, and you'll say, Bills were undisciplined this game. The Bills were sloppy in this game. The Bills, I'm just using an example. They don't really have a lot of games like that. But hockey's the opposite. Any situation where it's one side more than the other, and you'll hear, bad job by the refs. And in part, it's because we all know that that's their goal, that – NFL, NHL officiating—it's like it's just really about evening it up, right? Every each team having the same amount of penalties, makeup calls. It's more obvious that that's the case in NHL officiating than any other sport. Uh, so I guess I understand it, but you know, this was a game where I didn't think the officiating was one-sided or biased. I thought the Sabers were just sloppy when it came undisciplined when it came to a lot of their penalties, uh, and that's not on the refs. That was on the Sabers for a lot of those. I'm not saying all seven of those calls were right, but a lot of them were. So that's my take on that Dylan cousins gets two more goals in this game. He was the game's number one star with two goals scored cousins now with eight goals on the year. And more importantly, since I said on our quarter season report card earlier or late last week, that I think what's going to hold Dylan cousins back from being a star player in the NHL is his shot. And I said, He's had a low shooting percentage throughout his career, right? He had a 6.5% shooting percentage in year one. Then he had a 8.1% in year two, and then it was a 9% in year three. And I mentioned that, yeah, a lot of times throughout the year that Cousins will get glorious scoring opportunities. And the goalie will make a save and make it look easy because he just doesn't have a great finish. Since I said that, Cousins has three goals in two games. And his shooting percentage now is up to 12.9% on the season, which is a lot better and eight goals in 23 games. Suddenly, suddenly the guy is almost on a 30 goal pace. So good for him. I guess I jinxed him. I'd like to say I could do the same for Peyton Krebs. We'll talk about him in just a, just a minute, but, Cousins with a little bit of that change of angle on his shot that you don't see a lot from him. You see it from the top goal scorers in the league. Slow down Tage Thompson's shot and watch how right before he shoots, he does this little subtle movement with his stick where he takes it closer to his feet. That's him changing the angle on the goaltender. That is something that hockey coaches teach their players to do because it makes it harder to save by the goaltender and Cousins has not really been a player that does that a lot. He gets the puck, and he just kind of pushes it forward. And that's a much more elementary way to shoot the puck. Now, it allows him to get a quicker release, but he doesn't kind of have the release to be able to get away with that. So this was a game where if you watch that goal, where it goes J.J. Paterka to Jack Quinn. Jack Quinn takes a shot. It's a save down to Nedeljkovic, and the puck bounces back to Paterka. Paterka, head up. Great vision, realizes, oh, cousins is open in the slot. He sends it over to Cousins and Cousins receives the puck and very quickly releases it. And he does that little change of angle that makes it harder for Nadelkovich to save. And he scores from an opportunity or from an area of the ice, the high slot, where you gotta have a nice shot. You can't just push that one on net and hope to score. That's gotta be that's gotta be a quick release. That's gotta be a an angle change release, and that's gotta be h- fast and hard. And it was in this situation. So that was a great shot by cousins. The breakaway in the shorthand, it was just more of an effort play, right? Just the speed on display, the strength on display to shield off the defender and then able to get the shot through the five hole. So uh, cousins, good job on him. Three goals in the last two games. He's up to eight in the season. And I'm backing off for the time being on saying that he's not a great goal or a good goal scorer, because now you look at the numbers you look at the last two games and suddenly the guy is uh, a comp- all-around complete offensive player and we know he's got the defensive game we know he's got the toughness we know he's got the intangibles now he's got all the pieces of an offensive game the playmaking the stick handling the speed the strength the zone entry ability i will always bring up with him is top 10 in the nhl Uh, it's his best trait i think is his ability to just enter the zone and get things set up like a quarterback or a point guard if you want it um so cousins great job by him and he definitely deserves some props after the last two games All right, we'll take one more time out when we come back. What is going on with Peyton Krebs? How is he still in the press box? Now, we do have news on that front, so we'll give you that, and I'll give you my take on what the Sabres should be doing with Krebs, what Don Renato should be doing with Krebs when we come back here on the Lockdown Sabres podcast with Joe DiBiase. One more segment here on the Lockdown Sabers podcast with Joe DiBiase. Thanks for making us your first listen every day. When you're done with us, be sure to make your second listen. Lockdown Sports today. Uh, if you uh, are a listener on Spotify, by the way, yesterday was Spotify Wrapped Day. Uh, send us your screenshots. Uh, if you're a, an avid listener and you got the minute calculations, I had a podcast. I had a podcast where I listened to twenty three thousand minutes on this on in the year. Uh, I don't think. That's going to happen for any of our listeners for Locked On Sabres. I'm not even sure we have 23,000 minutes total, uh, any of our Locked On uh, shows throughout the year. Um, but anyways, uh, push them forward. We'll give you a retweet, and uh, we always appreciate our listeners, uh, especially here on Spotify Rap Day. Peyton Krebs, Sabres. guy called Prospect is young player. Pey- Sabres forward, Peyton Krebs. He's a healthy scratch again. He has not played You know, this is the thing about stats websites. When you look at their game logs, they don't show you the games that they're a healthy scratch for. Uh, But this is where I go to my fantasy uh, league and I look it up because they will say it uh, on the game log. So if I look at Peyton Krebs uh, for this season, he has been a healthy scratch in how many games in a row? Krebs has not played since, you know what? It might not show it for me. No, here we go. Krebs has not played since November 23rd. So that is four healthy scratches in a row, and that's five of his last six that he has been a healthy scratch. Zero goals, three assists on the season. Now, actually, the news on this is that's going to end tonight. That's going to end on Thursday against the Avalanche. You probably already know what happens by the time you listen to this. So good that he is getting back in the lineup. And I'll say this. Don Granado's beating me to it. I was ready to come on here before this news came out a couple of minutes ago and tell you why what I think the Sabres should be doing with Peyton Krebs. Had that planned out, was ready to go on it, but guess what? Don Granado beat me to it because Don Granado is doing exactly the thing that I wanted to see him do uh, with Peyton Krebs. Krebs is re-entering the lineup, and he is doing it playing center, which is where he needs to be. The wing experience or experiment for Peyton Krebs is just not working. He is not a winger. He does not have the, he does not have the game to play on the wing. Look at his strengths. His strengths are playmaking, stick handling, vision, seeing lanes as they open up, carrying the puck. All of these things are what centers do. And that is where he should be. Wing you're asked to shoot the puck more and score more goals, and it's actually harder to make passes because suddenly you've only got one lane that's ever easy to the centerman in the middle of the ice. The cross ice stuff is so much more difficult to execute. Now you're giving him two different sides. I can pass it left. I can pass it right. I can pass it down low back door. Whereas you put him on the side and you basically got two pass options, the point or the high slot. That's like 90% of your passing opportunity as a winger. And Krebs's number one trait is his passing. Fans will always be frustrated with him. I guarantee it. Throughout his career, even if he becomes a great player, fans will always be frustrated of his lack of shooting. He is not going to be a guy that shoots the puck, and he might even at times pass the puck to a fault. The reason why for me is Krebs is a great passer. He, take this with a grain of salt. I'm the guy who said three days ago, Dylan Cousins can't shoot, and he's scored three goals since. Take that with just a grain of salt. Peyton Krebs can't shoot. He's not good at it. He's not a good finisher. He's a bad shooter. So, center. What's Don Granato doing? He's going back to center. And exactly the guy that needs to move from center to the wing is what he's doing. He's taking Vinny Stroza out of the lineup, and he's putting Krebs between Casey Mittelstadt and Victor Oleson. That is exactly what needs to happen. That line needs a spark. Game to game to game, they are... By far the worst line at 5-on-5 for the Sabres against the Red Wings on Wednesday night. They had a 15% expected goals for rate. 15%. They were on the ice for just three shot attempts. That was it. They had three shot attempts as a line. They allowed nine scoring chances uh, in that game. They allowed seven and only had two. That line is, has not been getting results. stat at center has not been getting results. Put him on the wing, and that's what's happening. Hopefully, Krebs can spark that line. And also, the guy in the Sabers' entire roster that best meshes with Peyton Krebs is by far Victor Olofsson because while Krebs can't shoot, and really can only pass at this stage in terms of like his best traits. He's a good puck carrier too, but his number one trait is passing. And we all know Victor Olsen, right? Victor Olsen's number one trait, and really the only thing he does well, is shooting. These two were made for each other. They should be paired together. They should be conjoined at the hip. Do not split them up. Middlestat, you know, just he's got some speed on the side. He's one of the Sabre faster players. He kind of could do a little bit of everything offensively, and he just had to get out of the middle of the ice. So I like Middlestat on the wing, and that was as good as you were going to do for a line mate. But more importantly, get Krebs back at center and get him with Victor Olofsson is the perfect teammate uh, for him. And... Actually, let me look. Has has Don Granado done a lot of that at all this year? Because when I think of who Krebs has played with this year, it's more of the grinder types. It's not with skilled guys, including a Victor Olsen, shooters like that. Uh, And here we go. This year, if I look at the minutes played, uh, Peyton Krebs with his teammates, number one is Zemgis Gergensen's. 88 minutes played at five on five with Zemgis Girgensons. that should not be Peyton Krebs. Number one, line mate uh, after that uh, in terms of forwards, uh, actually, you know what it's, it is Victor Olsson at 61 minutes uh, played. And then it's Kyle Okposo, And then it's Casey Middlestat, And then it is Rasmus Asplen. Uh And if we look at, let's see, let's look at Krebs numbers with uh, Victor Olsson and it's better than really with a lot of his other teammates. He's at a 50.9% Corsi 4 percentage uh, with Victor Olofsson, uh, which is ab- above average. And if we look at his expected goals for Mark uh, with Victor Olofsson, eh, not as great, 43%. So I still want to try it. I'm not saying that I don't, um, but the, the advanced numbers don't look too hot. Uh, with him. The one thing that I think it should at least should help is offensive zone starts because Krebs has been getting so many defensive zone starts playing with Gergensen's playing with the uh, in fact, if you look at those um, defensive zone starts 20 on the season, and that's a lot uh, with just, just that's just with Gergensons. Uh whereas with Olafson. 14 offensive zone starts, just 12 defensive zone starts. So I like this combination. Uh, and We'll see how it, ha- how it goes against the uh, Avalanche on Thursday night. Uh, enjoy the game against the Avalanche on Thursday night. This might be perfect, actually, because while I'm doing the show right before the game starts, you might DVR the game. You might be watching it tomorrow. If you're a Bills and Sabre fan, you could do the double TV thing. Uh, that's what I probably will be doing. Um, But if not, some might be watching the Sabres game back tomorrow. Um, So come back for tomorrow's episode. Uh, Thanks, everybody, for listening. Hopefully the Sabres get a win. Hopefully the Bills get a win. And tomorrow's a fun day to be a Buffalo sports fan. But we will see. Thanks for making us your first listen every day here on Locked on Sabres. Now go make your second listen. Locked on sports today. From the biggest stories of the day, plus instant reactions, big game recaps, and the take of the day. It's available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts.